0: book 4 chapter 5 amelia this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer visit librivox.org amelia by henry fielding book 4 chapter 5 containing a eulogium upon innocence and other grave matters booth passed that evening and all the succeeding day with his amelia without the interruption of almost a single thought concerning Miss Matthews, after having determined to go on the Sunday, the only day he could venture, without the verge in the present state of his affairs, and pay her what she had advanced him in the prison. But she had not so long patience. For the third day, while he was sitting with Amelia, a letter was brought to him. As he knew the hand, he immediately put it into his pocket unopened. Not without such an alteration in his countenance, that had Amelia, who was then playing with one of the children, cast her eyes toward him, she must have remarked it. This accident, however, luckily gave him time to recover himself, for Amelia was so deeply engaged with the little one, that she did not even remark the delivery of the letter. The chairman desired to know if there was any answer to the letter. "'What letter?' cries Booth. "'The letter I gave you just now,' answered the girl. "'Sure,' cries Booth. "'The child is mad. "'You gave me no letter.' "'Yes, indeed I did, sir,' said the poor girl. "'Why, then, as sure as fate,' cries Booth, "'I threw it into the fire in my reverie. "'Why, child, did you not tell me it was a letter? "'Bid the chairman come up. "'Stay, I will go down myself, "'for he will otherwise dirt the stairs with his feet.' Amelia was gently chiding the girl for her carelessness when Booth returned, saying it was very true that she had delivered him a letter from Colonel James, and that perhaps it might be of consequence. However, says he, I will step to the coffee-house and send him an account of this strange accident, which I know he will pardon in my present situation. Booth was overjoyed at this escape, which poor Amelia's total want of all jealousy and suspicion made it very easy for him to accomplish— but his pleasure was considerably abated when, upon opening the letter, he found it to contain mixed with several very strong expressions of love some pretty warm ones of the upbraiding kind. But what most alarmed him was a hint that it was in her Miss Matthew's power to make Amelia as miserable as herself, besides the general knowledge of Furens quid femina posit he had more particular reasons to apprehend the range of a lady who had given so strong an insistence how far she could carry her revenge she had already sent a chairman to his lodgings with a positive command not to return without an answer to her letter this might of itself have possibly occasioned a discovery and he thought he had great reason to fear that if she did not carry matters so far as purposely and avowedly to reveal the secret to amelia her indiscretion would at least affect the discovery of that which he would at any price have concealed. Under these terrors, he might, I believe, be considered as the most wretched of human beings. O Innocence, how glorious and happy a portion art thou to the breast that possesses thee! Thou fearest neither the eyes nor the tongues of men. Truth, the most powerful of all things, is thy strongest friend, and the brighter the light is in which thou art displayed, the more it discovers thy transcendent beauties. Guilt, on the contrary, like a base thief, suspects every eye that beholds him to be privy to his transgressions, and every tongue that mentions his name to be proclaiming them. Fraud and falsehood are his weak and treacherous allies, and he lurks trembling in the dark. "'dreading every ray of light lest it should discover him "'and give him up to shame and punishment. "'While Booth was walking in the park, "'with all these horrors in his mind, "'he met again his friend Colonel James, "'who soon took notice of that deep concern "'which the other was incapable of hiding. "'After some little conversation, Booth said, "'My dear Colonel, I am sure I must be the most insensible of men "'if I did not look on you as the best and truest friend.' I will therefore without scruple repose a confidence in you of the highest kind. I have often made you privy to my necessities. I will now acquaint you with my shame, provided you have leisure enough to give me a hearing. For I must open to you a long history, since I will not reveal my fault without informing you at the same time of those circumstances which, I hope, will in some measure excuse it the colonel very readily agreed to give his friend a patient hearing so they walked directly to a coffee-house at the corner of spring garden where being in a room by themselves booth opened his whole heart and acquainted the colonel with his amour with miss matthews from the very beginning to his receiving that letter which had caused all his present uneasiness and which he now delivered into his friend's hand the colonel read the letter very attentively twice over He was silent indeed, long enough to have read it oftener. And then, turning to Booth, said, "'Well, sir, and is it so grievous a calamity to be the object of a young lady's affection, especially one whom you allow to be so extremely handsome?' "'Nay, but, my dear friend,' cries Booth, "'do not jest with me. You know my Amelia.' "'Well, my friend,' answered James, "'and you know Amelia and this lady too. "'But what would you have me do?' "'I would have you give me your advice,' says Booth. "'By what method shall I get rid of this dreadful woman without discovery?' "'And do you really,' cries the other, "'desire to get rid of her?' "'Can you doubt it?' said Booth. "'After what I have communicated to you, "'and after what you yourself have seen in my family, "'for I hope, notwithstanding this fatal slip, "'I do not appear to you in the light of a profligate.' "'Well,' answered james and whatever light i may appear to you if you are really tired of the lady and if she be really what you have presented her i'll endeavour to take her off your hands but i insist upon it that you do not deceive me in any particular booth protested in the most solemn manner that every word which he had spoken was strictly true and being asked whether he would give his honour never more to visit the lady he assured james that he never would He then, at his friend's request, delivered him Miss Matthew's letter, in which was a second direction to her lodgings, and declared to him that if he could bring him safely out of this terrible affair, he should think himself to have still higher obligation to his friendship than any which he had already received from it. Booth pressed the colonel to go home with him to dinner, but he excused himself, being, as he said, already engaged. However, he undertook in the afternoon to do all in his power that Booth should receive no more alarms from the quarter of Miss Matthews, whom the colonel undertook to pay all the demands she had on his friend. They then separated. The colonel went to dinner at the King's Arms, and Booth returned in high spirits to meet his Amelia. The next day early in the morning the colonel came to the coffee-house and sent for his friend, who lodged but a little distance the Colonel told him, he had a little exaggerated the lady's beauty. However, he said, he excused that, for you might think, perhaps, cries he, that your inconstancy to the finest woman in the world might want some excuse. Be that as it will, said he, you might make yourself easy. As it will be, I am convinced, your own fault, if you have ever any further molestation from Miss Matthews booth poured forth very warmly a great profusion of gratitude on this occasion and nothing more anywise material passed at this interview which was very short the colonel being in a great hurry as he had he said some business of very great importance to transact that morning the colonel had now seen booth twice without remembering to give him the thirty pounds this the latter imputed entirely to forgetfulness for he had always found the promises of the former to be equal in value with the notes or bonds of other people. He was more surprised at what happened the next day, when meeting his friend in the park he received only a cold salute from him, and though he passed him five or six times, the colonel was walking with a single officer of no great rank, and with whom he seemed in no earnest conversation, yet could not Booth, who was alone, obtain any further notice of him. This gave the poor man some alarm, though he could scarce persuade himself that there was any design in all this coldness or forgetfulness. Once he imagined that he had lessened himself in the Colonel's opinion by having discovered his inconstancy to Amelia, but the known character of the other presently cured him of his suspicion, for he was a perfect libertine with regard to women." that being, indeed, the principal blemish in his character, which otherwise might have deserved much commendation for good nature, generosity, and friendship. But he carried this one to a most unpardonable height. He made no scruple of openly declaring that if he ever liked a woman well enough to be uneasy on her account, he would cure himself, if he could, by enjoying her, whatever might be the consequence. Booth could not, therefore, be persuaded— that the Colonel would so highly resent in another, a fault of which he was himself most notoriously guilty. After much consideration he could derive this behaviour from nothing better than a capriciousness in his friend's temper, from a kind of inconsistency of mind, which makes men grow weary of their friends with no more reason than that they often are of their mistresses. To say the truth, there are jilts in friendship as well as in love, and by the behaviour of some men in both, one would almost imagine that they industriously sought to gain the affections of others with a view only of making the parties miserable. This was the consequence of the colonel's behaviour to Booth. Former calamities had afflicted him, but this almost distracted him, and the more so, as he was not able well to account for such conduct, nor to conceive the reason of it. Amelia, at his return, presently perceived the disturbance in his mind though he endeavoured with his utmost power to hide it and he was at length prevailed upon by her entreaties to discover to her the cause of it which she no sooner heard than she applied as judicious a remedy to his disordered spirits as either of those great mental physicians tully or aristotle could have thought she used many arguments to persuade him that he was in error and had mistaken forgetfulness and carelessness for a designed neglect. But, as this physic was only eventually good, and as its efficacy depended on her being in the right, a point in which she was not apt to be too positive, she thought fit to add some consolation of a more certain and positive kind. Admit, said she, my dear, that Mr. James should prove the unaccountable person you have suspected, and should, without being able to allege any cause, withdraw his friendship from you, for surely the accident of burning his letter is too trifling and ridiculous to mention. Why should this grieve you? The obligations he hath conferred on you, I allow, ought to make his misfortunes almost your own, but they should not, I think, make you see his faults so very sensibly, especially when, by one of the greatest faults in the world committed against yourself, he hath considerably lessened all obligations for sure if the same person who hath contributed to my happiness at one time doth everything in his power maliciously and wantonly to make me miserable at another i am very little obliged to such a person and let it be a comfort to my dear billy that however other friends may prove false and fickle to him he hath one friend whom no inconsistency of her own nor any change of his fortune nor time nor age nor sickness nor any accident can ever alter but who will esteem will love and dote on him for ever so saying she flung her snowy arms about his neck and gave him a caress so tender that it seemed almost to balance all the malice of his fate and indeed the behaviour of amelia would have made him completely happy in defiance of all adverse circumstances had it not been for those bitter ingredients which he himself had thrown into his cup and which prevented him from truly relishing his Amelia's sweetness by cruelly reminding him how unworthy he was of this excellent creature booth did not remain long in the dark as to the conduct of james which at first appeared to him to be so great a mystery FOR THIS VERY AFTERNOON HE RECEIVED A LETTER FROM MISS MATTHEWS WHICH UNRAVELLED THE WHOLE affair. BY THIS LETTER, WHICH WAS FULL OF BITTERNESS AND UPBRAIDING, HE DISCOVERED THAT JAMES WAS HIS RIVAL WITH THAT LADY, AND WAS INDEED THE IDENTICAL PERSON WHOM HAD SENT THE HUNDRED POUND NOTE TO MISS MATTHEWS WHEN IN THE PRISON. HE HAD REASON TO BELIEVE LIKEWISE, AS WELL BY THE LETTER AS BY OTHER CIRCUMSTANCES, THAT JAMES HAD HITHERTO BEEN AN UNSUCCESSFUL LOVER, for the lady though she had forfeited all title to virtue had not yet so far forfeited all the pretensions to delicacy as to be like the dirt in the street indifferently common to all she distributed her favours only to those she liked in which number that gentleman had not the happiness of being included when booth made this discovery he was not so little versed in human nature as any longer to hesitate at the true motive of the colonel's conduct for he well knew how odious a sight a happy rival is to an unfortunate lover i believe he was in reality glad to assign the cold treatment he had received from his friend to a cause which however unjustifiable is at the same time highly natural and to acquit him of a levity fickleness and caprice which he must have unwillingly obliged to have seen in a much worse light. He now resolved to take the first opportunity of accosting the colonel, and of coming to a perfect explanation upon the whole matter. He debated likewise himself whether he should not throw himself at Amelia's feet, and confess a crime to her which he found so little hopes of concealing, and which he foresaw would occasion him so many difficulties and terrors to endeavour to conceal. Happy had it been for him, had he wisely pursued this step, since, in all probability, he would have received immediate forgiveness from the best of women. But he had not sufficient resolution, or to speak perhaps more truly, he had too much pride to confess his guilt, and preferred the danger of the highest inconveniences to the certainty of being put to the blush. End of Book 4, Chapter 5